This morning, we're going to get into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And we're going to be looking at a message entitled, Following Jesus for Life. Following Jesus for Life, 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be closing out uh, this third chapter today. And uh, within the next couple weeks, we're actually going to be landing the plane and uh, you will be able to say, if you've been joining us on Sundays, that you have studied through an entire book of the Bible, and that Bible book would be Second Timothy, which is four chapters long. And then uh, starting on October 17th, when those changes come, we're going to be starting a new series, uh, which I'm very excited about, and which you'll find out about later. Now, isn't it true that it's always easier to start something than to finish it? It's easy to start most things, uh, but to finish it and continue in it is entirely something different, right? You could start working out, go to the gym one day. Now, that might be hard for some of us, uh, but it's harder to keep going back, right? Starting, uh, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but continuing is something altogether different. You know, you could start learning a language. Like you could go and download Rosetta Stone and learn one word in Spanish. Uh, but to continue and learn the entire language is something entirely different, right? You could start, you could say, I'm gonna start writing a book and you get through 10 words. It's a whole lot different than writing a 100 page book, right? You could start cleaning your room by putting one shirt away, uh, but your mom's not going to be very happy if you don't continue in that, right? You see, it's not just about starting something, but seeing it through that isn't easy. We are told in scripture that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is both the author and the finisher of our faith. Meaning on this end, God, on God's end, he tells us that he is going to see us through. He says that he's not going to leave us, that he started something in us. And he says, I'm going to see you through. But how do you and I practically, how do we follow Jesus for life? Because anyone can slip up their hand and pray a prayer. Anyone can say, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Remember when even Peter said that to Jesus? Jesus, I will follow you. Um, even if I die, I will follow you, right? But to, did, did Peter follow through with that? Now, eventually he did, right? But, but what does it take? The Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is not a one-week event. Well, I went to this conference and this camp and I gave my life to Jesus. But what about the week after in the months to come. Think about it. Think about it. There are so many who appear to start well, but over time, for whatever reason it may be, they cease following Jesus or cease following Jesus well. And so the scripture that we're going to look at are going to give us some elements, some principles, some key things that we need to know in our walk with Jesus. So it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just, well, I worshiped one Sunday when I was five, but rather that this is the theme of who you are. So this, this concept of following Jesus for life, uh, this is exactly why Paul is writing to Timothy. You know, he wants to see Timothy continue and follow through in those things that he taught him. You know, there's gonna be so many that go astray, but Paul knows that he's on his way out. Right? He's on death row. His life is coming to a close. And so the passage that we're going to read today is an encouragement for Timothy to be able to follow Jesus for the rest of his life. So last week, uh, we started chapter three, and we looked at those first nine verses, and we saw how in the last days before Jesus comes back, that times are going to get perilous or stressful or troublesome. And we looked at some of, do you remember those, the overall attitude and some of those characteristics, lovers of money, greedy, prideful. And we saw how there's going to be this overall attitude in our world that will seep its way in to our church. And so starting in verse 10, where we're going to be at today, 
Paul begins this sharp contrast. He says things are going to get nuts, but now he focuses in on what Timothy is to do. So let's read starting in verse 10, and we'll read down to verse 17 and finish off the chapter, all right? You guys have your Bibles open? All right, look with me starting in verse 10. The Bible says this, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father in heaven, we present ourselves to you in this moment of worship. Now, some of us might say, wait, we just had worship. Uh, Lord, this is a continuance of our worship. We want to give you, Lord, not just our voices and our attention, Lord, but we want to, Lord, give you our minds and our hearts and our ears. And so, Lord, we pray that during this time, as we talk about following Jesus for life, that you would instill in us these principles that we might follow you for life. That as life has ups and downs, as we will experience trials and persecutions, as we will at times abound and at other times have nothing, Lord, may the one constant thing be in our life would be you. That you would be the anchor of our soul. And so, Lord, we look to you now. We pray that you bring understanding to your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Come on. All right. Three keys to following Jesus for life. This is what we're looking at today. Three keys to following Jesus for life. These three areas are non-optional for you and I to understand and comprehend. And so you got to ask yourself the question, do you want to follow Jesus for life? Do you want it to just be something? Well, you know, many adults, they look back on, oh, I grew up in the church. Oh, I remember when my parents took me to church. I was involved in youth group. I bought stuff from the snack bar, but now they're 30, 40, 50 year old and they don't bring their own family to church because they never followed through on the things in which they learned. Do you want to follow Jesus for life? Do you want to get to the end of your life and have regret because you didn't follow through? Or do you want to rejoice because you finished your race? I don't know about you. I want to get to the end like Paul, which we're going to look at next week to say, I did it. I, my, my end has come. I, I wasn't perfect, but I kept going. And that is the Christian life. I wasn't perfect. I failed at times but I was following Jesus from the day I committed to him to the day that I saw him face to face. And the first key that we're gonna look at today is the emphasis of example. It is the fact that you and I as Christians to live a life of following Jesus and to make it to the end, we're gonna need examples. We're gonna need people in our life who are a further way down the road that can show us this is how you do it. This is how it happens. We need examples in our life and the scriptures put an emphasis on example. And we should put an emphasis on example in our own life. Look back at verse 10. We read it a moment ago, but if you look in your Bibles, you will notice in verse 10 and 11, you will see how Paul says, you have carefully followed my, meaning that in this context, Paul is the example to Timothy. 
If you were to go up to Timothy and you say, hey, Timothy, hey, Timmy, uh, who's your example in life? He would say Paul, among many others, I am sure. But Timothy witnessed Paul's life in the way that we'll look at some of these things in manner of life and purpose and faith. But listen, you and I, we all need examples in our life. Not just someone to tell us the truth, but someone we can see display the truth in everyday real life. If, if I am your only example, I mean, the only type of relationship that we have, now it's good that, 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 that you're hearing truth, but if it's only what I say to you and there's no, nothing else, then, then my example towards you is, is minimal. But then if you see me, maybe out in the community, maybe you see me uh, interact with other people and you know me outside of the pulpit, outside of this, then, then I can become that example. But oftentimes, most people in our lives aren't pastors and preachers. Yes, they, they have a role, but what I have found is good examples are the people that we know in everyday life who maybe they're not teaching the Bible, but they're teaching the Bible. Like, wait, what are you saying? I mean that they might not be teaching the Bible from a pulpit, but they are teaching the Bible through the way that they live their life because they are practicing, in a sense, what they preach. And they don't even have to preach because their life shows what they believe. And that is awesome. And the Bible puts an emphasis on having examples in our life. The model for the church. When Paul wrote to Timothy in the first letter, and when he wrote to Titus, he says that what the, the model for church is that older people, people that have been walking with Jesus a little bit longer, that they take people that are younger and they say, hey, this is how you follow Jesus. You should come with me and I'll show you how to follow Jesus. And this is the model. Older men should come alongside younger men and say, hey, this is how you should go. And younger men should seek out older men and say, where do I go? And then older women should find younger women and say, this is where to go. And younger women to older women should say, where do I go? Do you get the model? Do you understand it? This is the model for the church. And there is an emphasis on example. And notice in verse 10, he says, but you. Meaning that this is a place of distinction. Meaning that what we read last week about all those nasty worldly qualities he, Paul is saying, but you and me, Timothy, we're not, you, you've seen me. I don't live like that. I don't live for myself. You've seen my example and you have carefully followed it. You have carefully followed this word. It means to pay attention in detail, to follow carefully. And it's like someone who would follow the news. Maybe you have parents that are just so into the news. That, that it's always on, TV is old. You know, I've, I go to some people's houses and they have their TV on 24 seven. I don't even understand that. But some people, they just like even the background noise. They'll just put on Fox News or Newsmax or whatever it is. And maybe you know someone who they just follow the news. They're just news junkies, right? That they have Twitter and uh, social media and they're looking and they're discerning and that's just what they do. And they're, fo they're carefully following what's happening in the world. Or maybe you know someone else who they follow a specific sport. Right, they know all the players. Maybe they're involved in fantasy football, and they just—they just—they're following it. They're following the games, and they know. You ask them a score, they know the score. You ask them a player, they know the player. They know how tall the player is, and they're carefully following after that. Right? Or some people uh, with uh, the 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 stock market and the world of finances that, you know, they have those, I don't understand it, uh, to be honest, uh, but they, you know, they have those, those graphs and things on their phone and they're following and they're, they're looking at which way to invest and where should I pull money and put money and that whole world. That's the idea of carefully following. And Paul is telling Timothy, you've seen me. You've carefully followed my life. You've been, you've seen the witness an example of my life. This word defines how a disciple or a student would be with their master, right? Maybe you can think about martial arts in some way. It's the study at close quarters that Paul is saying, Timothy, you've studied me at close quarters. You, you've seen that what I preach is what I practice. And you see, what Paul did was not just teach Timothy, but he exampled what he taught him. You could say for Timothy that he was not just taught about Christianity, but he 
caught what Christianity was by seeing Paul live it out. He caught it. And that is one of the best ways to learn and to grow. And so we see here within these two short verses, uh, we're not going to go with them in detail, but notice there are nine displayed examples. Do you guys see that there? There are nine displayed examples. Uh, and there's, there's, right, you see the commas? You guys look in your Bible? Do you guys see the commas? The commas, right? Doctrine, manner of life, and, and so on and so forth. What, what, what are these things talking about? Let me just summarize for you what Paul is describing, right? He's saying, you have seen what I have taught, right? Doctrine. You, you've seen not just my content, but how I have taught it, what he taught and how he taught, manner of life. Timothy, Tim, he's saying, Timothy, you've seen how I lived. You've seen my purpose or my determination. You've seen my faith or trust in God. You've seen my long suffering, my ability to come alongside people and be patient with them. You've seen my love and perseverance. And what I want you to note down about these seven displayed examples is that the first seven have to do with Paul's personal qualities, okay? So the first seven have to do with Paul's personal qualities, his love. It's, it's like his character, right? His, that he's patient. That's that word long-suffering. That uh, regarding, you know, his, his faith and, and these different things, his ability to endure, right? Perseverance. But then the last two, they deal with situational difficulties. He's saying, you've seen my character. You've seen how, who I am. But you've also seen me go through difficult times. And what I have found is you really see what someone is made of, right? When, when there's pressure put on their life. And what Timothy is saying, he's saying, you haven't just seen me when everything is peaches and roses and rainbows, but you have seen me in the darkest of times. Notice in those last two things listed in verse 11, in persecution and afflictions, did Paul not go through persecutions and afflictions? Have you guys ever read the book of Acts? Man, if you guys think the Bible is boring, you, you have not given it a chance, okay? Read the book of Acts. Paul is a gnarly dude who goes through some gnarly things. And there are three places listed. Notice in your Bibles, there is Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And these are different cities. You guys know how Paul went on missionary journeys, right? He traveled around sharing the gospel. And the Bible says that Paul was unashamed of the gospel, meaning that even if people hated him, that didn't change his message or even his method that he continued to preach. And these three places listed are in the Bible, in the book of Acts, in chapter 13 and 14, that you see him visit places like Antioch. When he was there, he got kicked out of the city. They said, literally leave. Like, we don't want you here. Uh, the second place, Iconium, he was threatened, almost stoned. So he left. And then the third place, Lystra, Interesting about Lystra, that's where Timothy was actually from. That was his hometown. And in Lystra, when Paul went there, that he was not only, uh, you know, hated, but they literally took him outside the city. They got stones and they stoned him thinking he was dead. So they left. Now, Paul ended up hours later, potentially getting up and walking back into the city uh, because he just had that type of purpose, right? He had that type of determination, but we see that these, these things are, are listed, but notice what Paul says at the end of verse 11. Look in your Bibles, don't miss it. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. He rescued me. Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. God is faithful. And that is what Paul wants to communicate to Timothy. He, he's saying this, Timothy, look at my life. I have been through insane things. I have been whipped. I have been shipwrecked. I have been left for dead. I was literally stoned. People took stones. They threw them at my body. I had broken bones and busted head and all kinds of things. Yet God, yet I'm still here. Yet God has seen me through. You see what Paul wants Timothy to remember here. Why is he writing to him? Remember that God will see you through. And this is one of the things that I have found to be the one of the most encouraging. You see, for me, I have examples in my life. 
I have people that I can think about who not only taught me about Jesus, but showed me Jesus. And one of the best things that, that they have shown me, these different examples, and I'll share with you a couple of them in a moment, is that God is faithful. Because when you know that God is gonna come through, when you know that even if you get stoned, that God's gonna deliver you, that he's gonna rescue you, yeah, that doesn't mean everything's all perfect, but it's the fact that God will see you through, that he's faithful, that what he has promised you, he will go through yet. And it seems to me that Paul's attitude is similar towards that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember when Jerovia shared uh, that, that story before that worship song about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, if you kept reading, you know, they were confident. They said, they said and if, if God delivers us, we're, I mean, we're not gonna bow down. God is gonna deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we still ain't bowing down to you. That they had this, this, this confidence of, hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure God's gonna deliver us. But if he doesn't, he's still gonna deliver us. Because remember, where's Paul at this moment? He's saying, God has delivered me from everything I've gone through and he will deliver me from everything I will go through. But where is Paul? He's on death row. Is, Paul, is he gonna get delivered? No, he's actually gonna get his head cut off. You're like, well, I thought God is faithful and he delivers. Oh, Paul was delivered. He was ultimately rescued from the godlessness of this world. You see, either way for the Christian, God delivers, God rescues. And what Paul wanted Timothy to get was it is worth it to keep going. And Paul was this great example. And you and I, we need examples. For me in my life, uh, there's two men that come to my mind. And one of them is my dad. My dad is one of those examples to me where my dad uh, has showed me Jesus. He, he talked to me about Jesus and raised me in a home in that way. Uh, but one of the things that comes to my mind is not just that God is faithful, but he has showed me what it looks like to live a faithful life. You see, he has served in the children's ministry in this church for 28 years. That is longer than I've been living. And my, God has been, my dad has been serving. And, and he's shown me lifelong commitment and what that looks like. I think of other men like uh, uh, Pastor David here at the church, who was my junior high pastor, who I didn't know too well in junior high, but when I got older, he was willing to, to give me a chance and bring me and say, hey, do you wanna intern? Hey, do you wanna come on staff? And for three years, I worked under this, this man who, who showed me, not just told me this is what you should do, but he showed me, hey, this is how you walk with Jesus. This is how you go through difficult things. This is how you handle people. And I know looking at just even those two men among all the other people that God has put in my life, it is, it is what enables me to, to live my life for Jesus currently. And so the question is, who is your example? There's an old saying, that says, if you wanna go fast, go alone. And if you wanna go far, go together. See, one of the first key in following Jesus for your life to make it to the end is you're gonna need examples. And you might say, well, my parents aren't saved or my dad is a, you know, not a great guy or my mom is this or you know, this person is that. What I wanna encourage you to do, I believe because of that model to which God gave, he came up with the model of example. He came up with his model that God says, I, I want the older people a little bit further down the road to come alongside you and, and just walk you through life. He came up with that. So that means that it is up to him to supply you an example. And if you, in your life right now, you think, man, I, I don't really have any examples. You begin to pray and ask God to send someone in your life who's willing not just to tell you about Jesus, but show you Jesus. And I know for a fact that there are leaders in this room who are willing and wanting and praying and desiring to be that example in your life during this season of your life. And so you pray, you ask, and you begin to look around. Who's really following Jesus? Who doesn't just preach something and practice something different? Who in my life do both of those things go together and you just, you stick by their side? and you will go far. The second thing, the second key to following Jesus lifelong is we need to understand and realize that as Christ followers, 
that we not might only experience pressure, but we have a promise of pressure. There will be pressure on your life of persecution. Of no, uh, there will be different kinds of pressure for sure. And you are promised that it will happen. That if you want to live your life with Jesus lifelong, then you can, you, you, it is guaranteed. You can take it to the bank. You will be persecuted in some way or another. Notice verse 12. Look back at your Bibles. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not might, not maybe, but will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, Paul is telling Timothy that it's not just him. It's not just Paul that was going to experience persecution. This wasn't something that was specific. Uh, specific. There you go. My tongue tied. Specific towards Paul. He wasn't the only one that was going to experience pressure for being a Christian and for preaching Jesus. It is guaranteed. It is what the word is inevitable. It will happen. But notice it will only happen to those who want to live godly in Christ Jesus, who want to live a life close to Jesus. That persecution is inevitable. And notice, look at verse 13. It gives us the reason why. The, the reason why persecution will get worse is that because evil men and imposters will grow worse. There will be this advancement of deception and people being misled. And we are seeing this now in, in more ways than one, uh, and it's becoming very close to home. Listen, if if we don't have a comprehensive understanding, you're like, that's a big word. A comprehensive understanding is mean we really get it. It's not just like, oh yeah, persecution. No, we understand that this will come, that this is going to happen and we will experience it. If we don't realize of the promise of the pressure that we're gonna realize, that we're gonna go through, then when it hits and when you experience it, then you are going to begin to question, wait, I'm a Christian. Why is this stuff happening to me? Is God not all powerful and all loving? Can't he, can't he stop this? You are gonna be stumbled. You are gonna begin to question the goodness and faithfulness of God, even though that it is in your experience of pressure from the world and persecution that is actually a display of God's goodness and faithfulness because he told you beforehand. This is what Jesus told the disciples. Hey, things aren't going to be easy. And when they're not easy, then you will remember what I have said to you and you will have a greater faith because you can think, oh yeah, Jesus said this was going to happen. All right, I trust him. The, the relationship from experience now goes deeper. But if you think that your Christian life is going to be seamless that you're just gonna go to church and everything is great and, and there's gonna be no pressure, no persecution, you got another thing coming. And when that hits, if you're not prepared, you will get knocked down and you will begin to be stumbled in your own walk with God. I wanna share with you a couple stats according to Open Doors USA in 2021. Open Doors USA is a ministry, is a, uh, a place that uh, basically gives us worldwide numbers of what is happening in the world to Christians, okay? Uh, similar, another website you could go to if you're interested in this area of things is Voice of the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs, okay? So Open Door, According to them, currently, this is current, okay? Around the world, more than 340 million Christians live in places where they experience not just low levels, notice it says high levels of persecution just for following Jesus. Meaning it is not just like in our culture where it's frowned upon and now beginning to be marginalized, but like it is dangerous. That's the high uh, level of persecution. That's one in eight believers in the world. And I think that's a rather conservative number. Uh, every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked, literally every day. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested, imprisoned, and another five are abducted. Not to mention, and I didn't get the stat, and maybe I'll get it for third service, is the 
um, thousands, literally thousands of Christians, not just being killed. Oh, they're in a car accident. No, they were targeted because you're a Christian. We are going to murder you. Uh, now for us, sometimes it's just like this, this, wait, what? Wait, that, that, re- that really, this literally happens. Okay. And it, and it happens worldwide. Now for us currently, we don't experience that. We experience it in other ways. We experiencing uh, it, like I, what I mentioned, being marginalized, being uh, looked down upon, looking at, you know, now the, the Christian worldview, how we look at the world and what we believe is now looked at as hate speech, that there are being laws made so that when, when people, and literally this is, this is in the works and people are trying to get this passed, where if someone comes to the church and they say, I have... Uh, I struggle with homosexuality and same-sex same attraction, but I know what God's word has said, and I don't, I don't want to be this way. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what he tells me, that there are laws that are being in place trying to be pressured against the church saying, you can't help that person. That if you help that person uh, and you lead them towards Jesus and trying to lead them, they call it uh, homosexual conversion therapy, and it cannot be done. When we just call it, this is what the Bible says, and you need to walk in the spirit. You see, we are going to experience more and more things like that, and it's not going to change. And it's going to hit closer to home. And I don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now, but doesn't, do you not get that sense from maybe things you hear from your parents, things that you see on TV, that things are get heightening that there's this heightening uh, pressure, and that leads to persecution. You know, some of these countries that uh, I mentioned that experienced this type of persecution, do you think it, they were like really friendly to Christianity one day? And it was like, yeah, no problem. You believe that? No, no worries. It's a free country. And then, and then the next day, they're like, we're going to kill you. No, it, it happened over time. It, it happened that, oh, no, you're not allowed. To, like, you can meet in your church, but don't try to bring your church out, into, out to us. Don't, uh, you know, and, and it starts slow, and it builds up to intense types of persecution that you see in a lot of Middle Eastern countries, that you see in Indonesian countries and North Korea and China and the rest. Look, Jesus told the disciples that they would be delivered up to government officials. That pressure from the government, not just like people only, but government officials and citizens would begin to put pressure on them to conform to their ways of doing things. Yet the awesome truth and promise from scripture that Jesus says, when that happens, that I will send the Holy Spirit to you to be able, that you don't have to think beforehand, what am I going to say? What if I get arrested for Jesus? You know, we saw a lot of things happening within this COVID stuff where churches were being fined by our government because they were simply meeting. We saw previews of what is to come. Mark chapter four, verse 16 and 17, you can note it down. It says this, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. This is that story of how the sower, the, per, the seed planter went out and and planted seeds and throw and threw seeds so that they would be able to find soil and grow. And some of those seeds, this in this parable that Jesus tells, fell on stony ground. And they were never able to take root. And Jesus then explains to the disciples what type of people that represent. That when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. It didn't get deep enough. And so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation, pressure, or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. You see, there's something very purifying about persecution. Meaning, if it becomes difficult, there starts to be pressure to become a Christian, then it begins to weed out, showing, you know, right now it's easy to come to church. Coming here, you don't have to take underground tunnels. You don't have to hide your Bible in the trunk so that if you got pulled over, that they wouldn't see it. You, you, in here, you don't have to worry and, and fret uh, that, 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 that government officials are going to come in and SWAT's going to take us out. You don't have to do that right now. But as pressure increases, it starts to become more real. That, that word of God, it, right now, it, to some extent, it, it's 
there's, it's easy to become, be a Christian. Anyone can say it. There's, there's some you know, pressure. But what if you lived in a country where it was literally illegal? You see less conversions for sure, but you see them take place in a more genuine and lifelong way. So where are we at? Well, we need to realize and understand of the promise of persecution so that when we experience it, which you will in one way or another. Now, uh, I I don't know. I mean, things could go crazy, but I don't see in our country right now that we're going to start getting our heads chopped off for being Christians. Okay, In other countries, that's the reality. But for us, it's going to happen in other ways. Now, will we be able to take any kind of pressure if we're close with Jesus and remember his promises then he will supply the strength. The third and final key that we're going to look at today is the security of Scripture. The security of Scripture. This is our third key to following Jesus lifelong, is the security that Scripture brings. That if you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, listen, this better take a prominent place and authority in your life. You will have a very difficult time seeking to be a Christian, seeking to live a godly life, and this being a side thing. This being something that someone else reads to you or something else that someone else knows and tell you, tells you the truth. That your Bible, the, the words that are contained in God's holy scriptures, there is security, meaning it is what will keep you secure to the end. But if you are away from this book, if this, is not, this does not have a place of prominent authority in your life. And what I mean by that is that when it says something, you say, oh, well, if the Bible said it, because this is God's word, this has, it has authority in my life. And that's important. So let's read verse 14 through 17. Okay. We'll close out this chapter. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see that word, but there in verse 14? This is very contra- uh, It's a contrastive, but like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about, Joel? <laughs> Meaning it, it is, it is a marker saying, look at verse 13 again. Verse 13 talks about evil men becoming more evil. And then it's this but, meaning that there's a contrast. This is a big but right here, okay? And there's a but where it is now, it is now comparing, saying, hey, evil men are going to grow worse. But you, notice it says, but you. He's talking to Timothy, but you don't stop going. You, as, as this culture becomes more evil, you become more godly. Notice it says you must continue. This is the idea to stay, to remain, to keep going forward. First John 2 verse 24 says this, Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now John, in the way he writes, can sometimes be like, wait, abide in him. He, listen, this is what he's saying. Well, you've heard. Raise your hand if you've grown up going to church or at least hearing about the Bible. So that's a majority. I think there's some that, you know, maybe I have not. You've been, you, you've heard, listen, you've heard the gospel. It, it, it's been something that you've heard about God's word. But just because you've heard about it in the past, it doesn't guarantee you're going to follow them in the future that there must be this active, I'm going to stay. I'm going to, I'm going to continue in the things that my parents have taught me, the things that uh, leaders and pastors have shared with me, that there comes a point when you got to walk in it. It can't just be something you know. It's got to be something you live and something you do. Notice, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Meaning, hopefully, that you're growing in your assurance that, that this, what the Bible says is true. Do you believe what the Bible says is true? And why do you believe it? That there's this assurance that must come. This idea that you as a person must become convinced and confident in the authority of the scriptures. 
or as you live life and there are things that conflict, that your desires now are against what the Bible says, you are either going to make yourself the authority or God's word the authority in your life. There's a question right now is, 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 are you assured that this is true? You can't move on from that point. And that's something that you must dive into personally. Yes, I could tell you about why you should. I could, I could walk you through how you can trust the authority of the Bible. And there are times for that, no doubt. But I've found that, you know, it's one thing for someone to tell me, but it's another thing to, for you to see it for yourself. You have heard, I would think most of you, the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible's the authority. There's security in scripture. But why do you believe that? Do you know that? If someone asked you, would you be able to articulate in any way why, you know, if someone says, why the heck do you believe that, that, that book? Men wrote it. It's thousands of years old. It's probably been changed 4,000 times. What's the deal? Like, why do you, oh, the Bible says this. Like, who cares? And, and would you have any capacity to be able to say, well, actually, this is why I believe what the Bible says. If you're not assured of that now, you can't continue in the things because then it's just all this like, okay, I, I, I think this is what I believe, but you must come to a point where you know what you have believed. And so what we see here uh, is uh, three things I want to share with you, okay? And then we're, and we're going to go through these things quickly. Um, number one, what we see here is that scripture is proven. Okay, and we find this in verses 16 and 17. I just want to share with you three things and we'll close. But the Bible says of itself that it is inspired by God, that scripture is proven. Okay, notice verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is the idea, this inspiration of God is that it is God-breathed, okay? Uh, the word here uh, in Greek is, is both God and breath. It is, if you were to translate this literally, that it's inspired by God, is that it is God-breathed. More literally, you could say all scripture is breathed into by God. I'm like, wait, so what does that mean? Like he, he, he like, and then the book appeared? Like what, what happened? Like what was, what was the process here? Well, think about this, okay? When you speak, your words are breathed, right? You can't say something without breathing. Like they, they go hand in hand. And, and when you speak, it's from your mind, right? It's from your heart. And so what the Bible says is that what, and notice this is all scripture, not just the Old Testament, not just the new, not just the letters in red, but all scripture is is from the heart and the mind of God. They are God-breathed. Now, it's one thing for the Bible to claim that of itself, right? Because you could, you could write a book and just put in there, all my words are God-breathed, right? But is there any proof to back that up? It's one thing for the Bible to claim that of itself and then have no evidence to show for it. But what I wanna encourage you and remind you of today is that the Bible has been tested, has been proven, has been, has been tested to be true. And in every generation, there has been those who have sought to disprove the validity of the Bible. Oh, it's just a book. It's just a novel. That's just someone's crutch to believe in God. Yet it has never worked. Why? How do I know that? Because all those men and women throughout the ages who have sought to disprove the Bible, the Bible has outlived every one of them. And God has seen fit that his word is preserved for you and for I today. And though the Bible's inspired by God, how do we know it? I'd encourage you, listen, every one of you, put it to the test. Put it to the test. Just like you would anything else, put the Bible on trial. It has been done before. And we don't have time, because we only have a few minutes left to, to get into all the reasons you should trust the Bible. But I want you to hear this from me. If you just put a little bit of effort into seeing, okay, is this legit? What I commit to, what my family brings me every Sunday, what I've committed my life to, is this real? You see, when you go and you explore that through reading, through whether it's visiting places, whether it's talking to people, you got to put a little effort into it. If you do, you will come to the conclusion that the that what is contained in the scriptures is the word of God. 
through a variety of different things, whether that's uh, you know, fulfilled prophecies, whether that's, that's historical evidence, whether that's simply the unity of the Bible. There is so much out there, and I would encourage you, look into it. Because I could, I mean, I could do a presentation. Like next week, we could just take a time, and I think, there's, I think that's good at times. But there's something so much better about you looking at what is out there. I encourage you, if this is an area that you're interested in, go to alwaysbeready.com. They have a, a, amazing resources, but start to look. Like Google, see, look at the other side of the argument. Why is, why do, okay, if the Bible's legit, then why, don't, why doesn't everyone follow and believe it? They gotta have some reasons. They do have reasons, but I believe that the evidence for the reason that the, God, uh, the, the word of God is true, is valid, is trustworthy, outweighs any other concerns that people may have. And this is something that for me, I've come to the conclusion. I've done research. I've looked at it. I went to Israel. I lived there for three months. I saw that what the Bible says was legit, that people literally around the world will use what the Bible says regarding the Old Testament uh, legitimate sites, and they will do archaeological digs because every time they do, they find the old cities that the Bible talks about. And time and time again, the Bible becomes more trustworthy as time goes on. But you got to figure that out for yourself. What do you believe? The Bible says it's true, but have you ever put it to the test? The second thing I want to share with you is that scripture is profitable. It's not only proven, and you got to prove it yourself. If you're following it, right? No one else is forcing you to follow Jesus. You, you put in the effort. Uh, scripture is profitable, meaning it is beneficial, Listen, the, the security that we find in scripture to live life with Jesus lifelong, it's profitable. It's beneficial. Meaning it's not like, you know, imagine going to In-N-Out today after service and trying to play in, uh, trying to pay in Monopoly money. They would laugh at you and tell you to leave, right? Why? Because what you have, it's not profitable. There's no benefit. It's useless unless you're playing Monopoly. Listen, scripture is beneficial. It's profitable for our life. And notice there are four benefits for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. And I would, I'm going to break it down for you in, in a simple term, okay? Doctrine, it shows you the right way to go. When you read the Bible, it shows, hey, this is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me except, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. It shows you the way, doctrine, teaching, reproof. This is the idea of being rebuked or being convicted. That when you, if you've ever read the Bible for yourself, then you will experience that it will show you the wrong way to go. That you read it and you're like, I've been going the wrong way. I need to turn, I need to take a U-turn and turn back around. So it shows you the way to go. It shows you the wrong way to go. There is correction, meaning it doesn't just say this is right, this is wrong, but it shows you, okay, how do you reroute? How do you put the correct address in your maps and get to the location desired? That's the correction. It shows you how. And then there's instruction. That shows you how to continue in the right way. So there's the showing you the right way, showing you the wrong way, showing you how to reroute and showing you how to continue instruction, training in righteousness. And thirdly, and finally, we'll close with this, that scripture is purposeful. There's a purpose in your life. It's not just to gain knowledge, right? The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It is to transform and change you, not just give you a big head, and we find this in verse 17, that the man of God, the woman of God, the person following after Jesus may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you guys notice that? Complete and thoroughly equipped. Now those two terms are synonymous. Do you know what that means? Not like cinnamon, okay? Not what you put on your pumpkin spice latte, but synonymous. Mean that they go together. You're complete and thoroughly equipped. The idea is that you are competent. You have everything you need. And it is from the scripture that you have what you need for what purpose? That you might be equipped for every good work. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, this lifelong 
journey of following Jesus, God already has it laid out. The Bible tells us that before we ever lived a day that God had your entire life, he already knows it. It's already written in his book. And in that, God has presented before you every day, he has these good works. And the only way that you're gonna follow in the footsteps, the plan that Jesus has led before you is if you have older people in your life and I'm not talking about age, I'm talking about spiritual maturity. It could be someone that's one year older than you. It could be someone that's, heck, younger than you. But are they farther down in their relationship with the Lord? Then you can follow them. They're an example. It is through those examples. It is through the remembering that, hey, things aren't always going to be easy, that there's going to be pressure. And it is through as we have that security of Scripture that we are going to be able to follow Jesus for the rest of our life. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and uh, Lord, we don't want to fumble the ball. We don't want to get to the end zone and, and give up the game. Lord, that we want to we want to finish well. And Lord, for some of us, our journey has just gotten started. For others, we've been on it a little bit. Lord, for some, Lord, their journey might not last much longer, but we don't know. We don't know when you're going to call us home. You've numbered our days. Regardless of how little or how much time we have left, Lord, would you give us people in our life that we could look to, that, that not just teach us, but show us, what do we do? Lord, that you would give us strength to not, at the first sign of pressure, that we want to give up and run with, the, with our tail between our legs, but that we would be able to endure. You promised the disciples, they, I'll give you the words. The Holy Spirit will tell you. Lord, help us to do that. And Lord, may we just continue in the things that we have learned. That scripture would have its prominent place in our life that your word would go, that everything in our life would, would be, okay, but does that, does that line up with scripture? What does the Bible have to say about that? Lord, we know that this is your word to us and well, that in it, we don't find you. Lord, we don't worship the Bible, but it is that which points us to Jesus. And so Lord, help us to follow you and follow you well. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.